there are these trees and they grow around here. And in Colorado, in the Rocky Mountain states, they're called bristlecone pines. They're the oldest living trees on the face of the earth. They can grow to be 2,500 years old here in Colorado. And they can grow way up above the normal tree line, above the normal timber line. They found one, though, near Bishop, California. And they think it might be one of the oldest living trees on the face of the earth. They think it's 4,700 years old. And this is a song that I learned from Michael Johnson. And uh, it was written by Hugh Prestwood. And I understand Michael has played here a number of times. and I'm sure he played this song. It's called the Bristlecone Pine. Way up in the mountains on a high timber line, there's a twisted old tree called the Bristlecone Pine. The wind there is bitter, it cuts like a knife. It keeps that tree holding on for dear life But hold on it does Standing its ground Standing as empires Rise and fall down When Jesus was gathering Lambs to his fold tree was already a thousand years old. Now the way I have lived there ain't no way to tell. When I die if I'm going to heaven or hell. So when I made to rest it would suit me just Sleep at the feet of the bristlecone pine. And as I would slowly return to this earth, what little this body of mine might be worth would soon start to nourish the roots of that tree. And it would partake of the essence of me. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for this hour. Joining us at Darsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, and our host Tom Dupree. And we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. What does that actually mean, powered by? I mean, it looks to me like we're powered by electricity. Video of me shaking my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a guy named Jim Salestrom. S-A-L-E-S-T-R-O-M. We have supported uh, a group called Mercy Chefs. Not Mercy Ships. Mercy Chefs. Like a chef in a... Like uh, food. Yeah, food. And they had uh, sort of a 
Donor Appreciation Weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, about, I don't know, a month or so ago. And uh, this guy is friends with Gary um, LeBlanc, who is who founded Mercy Chefs, and his name's Jim Salstrom. I just said that. They met in Colorado. Uh, Jim Salstrom was a very close friend of John Denver, and uh, he is a is a he's just a real entertainer. Is what he is. He's a little older than me, and he's a big. Uh, advocate for veterans. He does lots of things uh, for for veterans, and he's just a great guy. And recently, he was down in uh, Naples with um, Mercy Chefs as they were feeding um, Thanksgiving. They were feeding uh, Thanksgiving meals to people that are still reeling from the hurricane down there but this guy jim we're gonna have to get him on the show he's delightful i mean he really is and uh he's got a lot of john denver stories he actually sang you happy birthday this year yeah he did (coughs) so that would have been november 4th so today is the yeah it hadn't even been a month it's been it's been about three weeks but uh guy was interesting I, i really liked him so, good guitarist uh, and great singer. And he has his own, see, he's put out several albums. Hmm. He's not what I would call a top-tier type guy, but it's, you know, he's he can see it from where he is. Yeah. Has he been on Wood Songs before? I mean, sound, he, the, the, that type of music sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, wood Songs is kind of a thing of its own. Uh, typically, I think. People come in, they're trying to, you know, get some promo. He he's not worried about that. Gotcha. So, um now one of the things that uh that we have uh been dealing with uh over the last couple of years is uh accelerating gasoline prices. And and everybody knows that uh that that's a problem, but most people really don't take enough time to understand how the energy business works uh, to avoid falling into easy sort of um, traps of blame game, you know, who's to blame for high energy prices. Um, and a lot of things that I've seen from Typically, folks that tend to be on the left side of the political spectrum are sort of, in my opinion, uh, really shallow little uh, uh, pieces that they write or, or, or things that they say against the oil companies gouging, that it's it's all about corporate profits so it's this attempt to demonize oil producers which actually just makes the problem worse Um, if you understand how usable fuel gets to your car you can begin to see where some of the problems are so the oil 
business is is basically in three. There's what's called upstream. Just think of it as a stream, like flowing down a river. Upstream. That's where the stuff starts. That's exploration and production. That's taking raw crude oil and or natural gas out of the ground. Finding it and then sucking it into a pipe. That pipe is called the midstream. That is the um, pipelines, typically. can also be uh, tankers. Uh, if it's going from one American port to another, they're called, it's a separate little thing that should not exist but does. Jones Act, tankers, anytime they make a law, somebody will build a business around it, and then it's impossible to get rid of. So you have to have a, an American-owned tanker to to take oil from, say, Houston to Connecticut. Can't do it any other way. So that's a little business niche that shouldn't exist, but it does. But it shouldn't. But it does. <laughs> it shouldn't. But anyway, um, and then that's the midstream. Then you have the downstream. Now, the downstream has got way more moving parts than the other two combined <coughs> because that is what's called refining. Now, there are people out there who really think that gasoline comes out of the ground. I mean, I, they, they're bound to think that because you see the stuff that they say and you realize that they're too stupid to have. S I, that's probably not a very nice word for me to use, but the thinking level is so stunted that they don't seem to have any concept of what's involved in, in, in taking, well, getting the crude oil through the pipe from out of the ground through the pipe up to the refining, and then the fun just starts right there. Yeah, that's right. So that's where you have this very complicated process of refining. What does refining mean? It means taking that barrel of oil and basically boiling it till it goes up through a crack pipe which doesn't sound isn't what it sounds like. It's one of those towers. It's a cracking tower. It's a pipe, though. It's basically a crack pipe. And it, it comes out in certain areas in that when you put crude oil under heat, different, they're called distillates, rise to different levels. And depending <coughs> upon... The oil itself, the composition of the oil itself, temperature, time of year, all sorts of various things. They then gauge what is the most profitable use of that barrel of oil and what are we going to use most of that barrel of oil in what kind of fuel. 
And so here are the different fuels. You can do gasoline. You know, you've got the low octane, mid octane, high octane. That's the most distilled of all the fuels. Then you have diesel, which is probably the next most distilled of all the fuels. Then you have kerosene, also in the aviation industry known as Jet A. That is barely flammable <laughs> unless you get it real hot. I mean, you, you, I think Jet A, you could probably throw a match in and it might not catch on fire. I think that's the way with diesel. I don't believe diesel is, you know, it, it ain't like gasoline. Yeah. I mean, you could pitch a match in a big bowl of diesel and I don't think it'd catch on fire. I think it only really starts to ignite under tremendous pressure. You know, because a diesel is not a spark plug. It's it's a it's pressure. Right. Um, compression. So that's what you can use oil for. Then the oil companies have to figure out what are we getting paid the most for. Now, on top of all that, and I wanted to talk about this article a little bit that is uh, out of oilprice.com. Why is the U.S. losing oil refining capacity? Well, number one, the official energy policy of the United States is to completely phase out gasoline and fossil fuels. In case you guys don't know that, that is their official goal that one day we will not have fossil fuels. Now, if there's anything that would not say to you that this government is pursuing what I would call an unsustainable goal, that would be it. Because a world without fossil fuels is a world which will simply cease to operate. There is no way to conceivably think of not having fossil fuels. Even if you had all um, electric cars, what's going to be the lubrication on them? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you're going to lubricate them with water? Or the wire coatings or, yeah. I mean, all, yeah, the, all, the, the, all, the, all the byproducts. Yeah, all the petroleum products yeah. that, that go into uh, the car. Because of this, refiners have had to exercise caution in order to stay afloat because it takes 15 years to get a payback on a refinery once it's built and you have to, uh, you know, put a huge amount of money into construction, getting it built, getting it up running, and then selling product. That's a lot of money you could lose if they shut you down. This has resulted in a loss of U.S. refining capacity. One of the underreported factors behind the ongoing diesel shortage, if you notice, you know, gasoline's almost down to three bucks. Diesel stays at five yeah. and change. I found a little place where I can get it for four ninety five. I ain't telling nobody. According to the Energy 
Information Administration, at the beginning of the pandemic, U.S. refiners had 19 million barrels per day of operable refining capacity. This was the highest number ever reported by the EIA. By December 21, that number had fallen to 17.9 million barrels per day. They lost 1.1 million barrels a day in less than two years. Here's the thing many need to help in understanding about refining. It is a boom and bust business, and the refiners do not have crystal balls. It is widely reported when they make huge profits, and you've seen that in the news and the Biden administration standing up there and haranguing the energy industry. But they also regularly endure massive losses. U.S. energy policy has been clear about the intent to phase out fossil fuels. If you're a refiner forecasting billions in losses and you require massive investments in order to keep your refinery operating safely and in compliance with the laws, you may well just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm out. And that's exactly what has gone on uh, in, in recent years. So, um, I think it's interesting to, to note your bigger oil companies tend to have all three, but then there are others out there who do only E and P who do only midstream. So we own one that does only E and P and that's EOG. And then we own one that does only midstream. And that is Kinder Morgan. We don't own any refiners. And part of it is uh, because of just what I just stated, you know, there's a potential that you could have some real issues with the business going forward. Yet it's a business that if we don't have it, it won't make any difference in the world how much exploration and production you've got or how many pipelines you've got. If you don't have refining, you ain't got it. So I don't know. Well, like you said, it's it's a boom and bust business. And uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was either I think it was Chevron CEO um, was talking about it. Uh, saw a good interview with him the other day. He was talking about the boom and bust periods, and you have. I mean, just they're dealing with a commodity, and you're gonna have lots of volatility with the commodity. They don't control the price of the commodity, and so they're working in working with a volatile input. And so they're taking on a lot of risk. They have there. It's, it's risk that they're taking with the commodity. It's risk with regulations. It's risk with the pricing when they're forecasting out 10, 15 years, trying to figure out, do they, uh, do they grow the refining capacity, grow the exploration production? They're taking all this risk, looking out to the future. If you don't have the return during the good times, they're, they're not going to do it. Why, should why, they? why would they do that? Um, and so it, it, it's the cart before the horse. I mean, if you don't have something to replace it with, um, you know, like you said, you know, the lubrication, what are you going to, you know, put on, you know, the cars, you know, what are you going to, the, the plastics, all this other yeah. stuff. I mean, it's the most insane short-sighted yeah. thing I've ever seen. Well, in, in natural gas, I mean, that's, that is a, I mean, where you have oil, you have natural gas. Yeah. And if you're, if oil production 
goes down, natural gas production also goes down. So now you're looking at power grid issues. I mean, it all. But natural gas does not have any lubricating qualities to right. it. You still have to run oil in an engine yep. that uses natural gas. Darsh. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the best examples that we've seen recently is uh, short-sighted, you know, policy, when it comes to short-sighted policy related to fossil fuels is what's happening in Europe right now. Uh, they have also imposed, you know, over the years, strict regulations, and they basically uh, are at present being held hostage by uh, Russia when it comes to their, you know, own uh, energy requirements. Uh, so they basically compromised on their own national security because, you know, they had these strong regulations uh, on fossil fuels. Um, luckily, the U.S. is uh, self-sufficient to a large extent when it comes to oil and gas, but uh, uh Energy security is a national security issue, and we know that you know it's even if alternative fuels start taking you know a piece of the pie, it's going to be many years, decades perhaps before you know they are able to uh, uh, replace fossil fuels. So, <clears throat> um, it's very important to to realize that you know these. Uh, Oil and gas companies uh, are not just taking advantage of these high prices, but they are, you know, doing what they have to do at present in order to be able to uh, uh, sustain when things turn sour. All right, we got to jump. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mestru. Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, will be back with the second half of the hour in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. About three weeks ago today And I've been trying to find someone I can talk to A friendly face to turn my way I walk the streets in silent sorrow I walk my feet into the ground And all I see are cloudy, cold, suspicious faces I swear to God it brings me down Is there no one with a smile for me? No one with a hand Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this half of the hour, Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree. And we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. This is John Denver 
And um, I, I'm just playing this because we played Jim Salstrom's song earlier, and this was a song that John Denver did that, you know, was not very well known, but it, it, it's a very lonesome sound to it. And it sounds a little like a song that I just sent Elizabeth to play that she can pick it up and why don't you I I will but I've got to cut this one off first so stand by I got to take it out nice and soft I know I know yeah keep talking bacon cunt yeah yeah. <laughs> we cannot get away from that, can we? Oh my lord! Okay, all right. Say something. Say something. I got it. Uh, I got it. So this other song is by a guy you might recognize, and uh, that was pretty smooth and quick. You got to yeah. admit. Turn it up. Sounds a little like it. Mama, take this badge off of me. I can't use it anymore. It's getting dark, too dark to see. I feel like That's Bob Dylan, of course, and uh, knocking on heaven's door. So he covered the Guns N' Roses song, huh? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding on that one. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have said that. Because you were thinking that. I was thinking that. I think uh, that, that song was on Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. It's, yeah, exactly. It was. I want to go back to this... Uh, Refining thing. The thing that is going to have to happen, and I don't know what it's going to take, but um, you're going to have to have an about face in prevailing wisdom that realizes that uh, I mean it's just categorically more expensive and in terms of environmental um, taxing or um, stress to build all these lithium batteries and do all the stuff you've got to do and fortify the uh, electric grid. It just is, it just doesn't make sense there. You know, the, the, 
the most environmentally friendly way to power cars and, and trucks and machinery is is through gasoline and diesel. It's not through building these crazy huge electric batteries and and trying to uh, you know the, the the idea that people think that 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 is it and what really gets me these days is people that are supposedly wise people that are in charge of lots of money and in charge of lots of decisions big decisions strategic kind of decisions they just are blind to common sense you know it it it, you just can look and see there's no way we're going to fatten the power grid by five times you know it's stressed as as much as what would that cost in the trillions to do that multiple trillions of dollars Mm -hmm. and then the amount of fossil fuels you'll have to burn to not only do that but then to to get the throughput what are you going to build 500 new nuclear plants yeah right (laughs) where are you going to dig up all that uranium you know yeah that's a really energy intensive thing you know the idea that you can just get away from how many of these uh wind farms you're going to build right will there be any land left that's not covered within wind farms and uh and solar cells it's just stupid and i i said that the last but it is it doesn't make stupidity is when (coughs) you should be smart enough to know the right answer and you choose to ignore it. Yeah. I think I think the top's kind of popping off of it, honestly. Um, oh. I, I hope I'm right. a $5 billion well, battery plant over there at Glendale, Kentucky. Yeah. But you, you look at... <laughs> you know all about that. <laughs> look at uh, uh, ESG. Yeah. You know, I mean, ESG, it's been around for a long time, but really started catching on what... Five ten years ago is really when yeah. it, that's when they started pulling dollars in uh, BlackRock specifically. Um, they had. Th- th- you th- see was, how much money they had with FTX? They had a pretty good exactly. investment. Really? Yeah, really? they did, and so did Sequoia. Yeah, I saw Sequoia, Sequoia did. Biggest, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but <clears throat> the ESG movement, it was pure and simple. It was a marketing from from an investment standpoint. It was a marketing push where BlackRock, the money managers, they view it as a way to attract assets. And they saw demand for this kind of asset. So you had the social push for, for that movement. They gave a, uh, offered a product to collect money. It was a push. But now, the reason I say you're seeing a, 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 a blow-off on the valve you're seeing anti-ESG funds come out. <laughs> and, and I guarantee you, BlackRock will be offering them at some point if you start. Uh, they'll, they'll offer both they of them. They got too much skin in that game. But but they, they, they're, they're are literally anti-ESG. That's how they're marketed. You know, they, yeah. They, See, <laughs> what this has done, it's provided, as, as an investor, as investors, um, it's provided opportunities um, because yeah. you had 
the heavy hand on the regulations. You had the the heavy hand of the social uh, agenda where banks, you know, it was frowned upon on banks to loan to them. So you had capital drying up. Um, they had to become lean. Well, they became lean and profitable, especially with commodity prices going up. Um, Talking about the energy companies. The energy companies themselves. Um, but what that's done, it's it's provided an opportunity because everybody moved to one side of the boat. Oh, yeah. Um, and so anytime you see everybody do something like that, usually you start having it just come back the other way, yeah. just more towards the middle. It I, may take a while. It may, it may. Um, but um, I, I really think generally people are getting sick of it. And I, I think the common sense, the people with the common sense, they're not the loud squeaky wheel. Um, I'll tell you something that I've noticed, though. So I watch a lot of college football on the weekends. And about all they run are car ads now. And there's not a single car ad that's for a conventional vehicle right now. Every car ad you see now is for an EV. Hmm. And I'm just thinking, you know, who's buying these things? But I get the feeling that it's like a push-down deal. You know, we're going to tell you this isn't a thing about we're we're selling to something that the consumers are telling us they want. Yeah. And Elizabeth has seen enough of those things that she's now saying, I think I'll go out and buy an electric car. <laughs> oh, it's only about $125,000. You want to see his for, head explode. You know, Just for say a, something for like a that. Freaking, uh, you know, uh, you go out and buy an electric uh, Ford F-150, 125K. Who yeah. said I wanted an F-150? doesn't matter. The things that you want are all going to be that kind of price. And the thing of it is, you better have a little... Uh, I'll tell you what you need to have is, is a little gas power generator for, for that sucker to work in the event everything goes down, and then you're stuck at home with an electric car you can't charge. We got a generator. <coughs> right, and it runs on fossil fuels. I, 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 God almighty. I'll tell you what. Pisses me off. I am, I am off. poking the bear. No. And, and, and I don't know. So, I don't know. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I mean, personally, uh, I, you know, um, I mean, I think that the pie of electric cars is only going to grow. It's not going to shrink, um, but it's going to be a very gradual process. It's not going to be as quick. It may be, you know, a long time. And, um, you know, I electric cars are still, you know, in the very nascent stages of their development. You could actually buy an electric car, a decent one, for about $30,000 today, which is much, much cheaper. So I'm, I'm taking the contrary view here. But so. but what, what I think the better <laughs> thing is to go with a hybrid. That way you're not stuck to right. plugging it in your wall. I don't mind a hybrid. Uh, that that I'm cool with. You because are. It, That's well, Yeah, it's totally different. It, it, you know, it's, it's part electric, part gasoline. Yeah, and... I think part of the problem is that the technology is just not developed enough where the time it takes to charge an electric car is still way too long. Uh, there aren't 
charging stations like there are gas stations but that right. build out is happening you know there are companies like chargepoint that are doing that uh tesla is one of the most uh i guess valuable companies today uh in on the market uh the sh- stock prices dropped by over 50% now but uh they've made huge progress when it comes to uh electric cars uh their model 3 today i think the base price is 35000 on the tesla on the tesla model 3 yes and then you know uh ford kia gm they're all making electric cars volkswagen is going to be one of the biggest players in electric cars so i mean it's a technology that i think is here to stay now there is a lot of optimism about it and you know they've written off the non electric cars and i think that is overdone uh but electric cars are are here to stay i i as a smaller slice i mean it's like crypto you know uh, uh we're still waiting for bitcoin to get back to i mean i think well anyway i think it's a growing slice uh and uh there there will come a point oh it's ma- definitely growing uh where it, you know uh maybe in two decades two and a half decades it will start start surpassing uh but here cars. here's what i think pushed electric cars in the past things have grown because there was real consumer demand for them I think what's happened with electric cars is they've grown because it was a top-down thing pushed by green energy types or people who felt like they wanted to clean up the environment so people decided they wanted electric cars because they thought they were doing good by the environment and like most things like that they didn't research it very deeply they felt good about themselves i i can and i can trace this back to when the prius first came out and that's been 15 years yeah, probably and uh people felt good about themselves cuz they were buying a prius and i remember seeing all those priuses with their little stickers on the back you could always kind of tell a prius owner you know they they were felt maybe a little bit morally superior you could tell they were a prius owner because they were driving a prius is that how you could tell that's sort of true <laughs> uh, no it was just this thing you know i you know i don't i don't have a big carbon footprint like you know i, I remember getting people look at you driving your uh, suv around and then um, and i thought well basically it's not a bad idea you know i've even thought about buying one i couldn't fit in it but but then now it's got to this electric thing and then you're totally reliant on an on a on an electricity infrastructure that you have no control over i mean you are with gasoline also but it's a little more decentralized you know when you're dealing with the power grid it either works or it doesn't and uh i just you know as far out in the woods as i go I don't want to have to be worrying about trying to hook my car up to get it uh, charged. I don't want you to be worrying about that either because inevitably you would get you'd push the limit and you'd get out there and I'd get a phone call. So that's probably <laughs> hybrid if you ever go will be the best way for you. But yeah, I mean from a 
a consumer standpoint, I mean, I have no issue with that. I think there, there are things that are better with electric cars. I mean, you look at, you know, torque and acceleration yeah. like for race car types of things. Um, and but they, they usually have, they're powered by a diesel engine. Most electric wheels in, say, a locomotive. Uh-huh. A locomotive is run by an electric engine powered by a diesel. So the, you know, the, the power generation comes from diesel. It, it goes, it doesn't go directly to the, the wheels. It goes into, uh, you know, a magneto turning, a you know, yeah, turn, yeah, yeah. turning a generator, which in turn, that electric energy gets, applied to the wheels that's why the torque can go so low yeah. and the wheels can turn you can't do that with a direct drive engine you right. can't get the gear ratio low enough well with electric cars it's not about gear ratio i don't even know if a tesla has gears does it or mm, i i don't know i don't know how no. they do the gearing on it but it, it it's, i don't think they hit, go from first gear to say no, it's 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 uh it's how much drive you're putting into the cap it's got a cap I'll, test, I'll, t- I'll tell you what tom i will test drive one and let you know <laughs> but it, it's it's the instant torque it's like a golf cart yeah you get in a golf cart push it boom you get it goes you go. um so the, the no, it, there's always been a use for electric yeah. engines it, it, so the issue is going back to the power thing is you know the push down of you know, no, no fossil fuels, only electric, you know, that's, that's been the issue with it. I think naturally, I think there will be more demand for it as you have the attrition of the current combustible engines as, as those just, you know, wear out. And as the the sad thing is, is if they're, if they're abandoning trying to build better gasoline engines if they're just saying to hell with that we're not going to try to build better diesels that's true you think that's just you know that that's that's the danger that we run of uh or or the um that's the uh, risks that we run of uh you know the in order to do these things um there's got to be uh energy behind them you know a push uh, ahead of steam in order to build a better engine you can't just yeah you know and if you start to lose that then you lose the technology uh that's been made in automotive um anyway well, well i mean i mean just cars i mean are the most fuel efficient they've ever been i mean just absolutely i mean and they're continuing to get better um and so I don't think because th- where it is an older technology, I don't think that'll stop. But I don't think you're going to continue to have the innovation. To your point, you're not going to continue to have as quick, uh, uh, as steep of an innovation uh, curve, if you will, as we have because I don't think you're going to have the same amount of capital going into it and energy unless something changes. Yeah. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this hour. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, and our host, Tom Dupree. If you'd like for us to take a look at your portfolio, we'd love to. Call us, 859-233-0400. You can also go to our website, dupreefinancial.com, and click 
on the contact us tab or click on the chat tab and someone will answer you and get you scheduled. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back in a few minutes with another hour. Stay tuned.